So this dates back to, to the 1860s of, of, of while the slaves were, were in, you know, slaves, they held on to God. They held on to certain spiritual songs to get them through the hardships and the pain and slavery. And one of them was this very optimistic song of them holding on to Elijah Rock. And we'll get into it you know, over the next five weeks as we're beginning a brand new series titled Elijah Rock. So this song, like, you know, ha you know has a connection with me from high school, and we'll kind of break it down as time goes by. But let's, let's if we, like, re rewind, and let's take a high-level view. Most people have heard of an historical figure by the name of Elijah. Like, most people have heard. Actually, it, it's, it's a Com it's not a common, it is a popular historical figure in all three main religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Of course, you know, Islam, somebody decided to take historical reality from two other religions and mold into something new, but w we know that Elijah was a strong historical figure um, centuries ago, but we have to take, why, why, like, why are we spending five weeks? Why are we spending five weeks studying the person named Elijah why is he a prominent figure, not only in the Christian worldview, but obviously in Judaism as well? Why are we doing a five-week of, of a life group based on the person of Elijah? Let's start with the centerpiece of our identity. Regardless if you're all into Jesus or kind of one foot in and still kind of assessing it, regardless of where you are, which is totally fine, you're still at the right place, there is something about Jesus that attracted so many people, so many people who were skeptics still, but so many people were so appealed and were, were so attracted to who Jesus is. And Jesus actually even spoke about Elijah as well. So in the four gospels that we have of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we look at the record by, by Luke, he was a physician. So his natural style of literature is very detail-oriented. This is how St. Luke wrote. Actually, he kind of wrote two volumes in his, in his research paper, if you want to look at it that way. He wrote the Gospel according to St. Luke, very clever name. The other one is, is the Acts of the Apostles, which he wrote down some of the struggles and victories and hard times of the early Christian followers. So St. Luke, Luke wrote these two major books of the Bible, the New Testament, the Gospel according to St. Luke and then the book of Acts. So, he was not a first eyewitness, but he did extensive, 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 comprehensive research to really find out, is Jesus legit? Is the Christmas story legit? Is resurrection really legit? And he did this extensive research. So as he did his research, he opens up his record, the Gospel of, of uh, St. Luke, of him recording an event in which there was going to be someone who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. There was somebody who's going to pave the way, make it easier for people to absorb the reality of this is God in a bond. This person who was going to prepare the way for humanity, for them to embrace who Jesus is, was the name of St. John the Baptist. Okay, St. John. So this is the record in which Archangel Gabriel made clear about who St. John would be. He's, so, Jesus, uh, so the angel tells Zacharias, who's, who's John's dad, bear with me, okay, just go along with me. So this is what we know. So the angel says this, and he will go, John, he will go before him, he will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the angel's saying, listen, your son, you're going to have a kid, and his name is John. 
he, he's going to have, man, he's going to be fierce. He's going to be gutsy. He's going to be like all in your face. He's really going to pave the way for people to be able to absorb who Jesus is better. He's like the precursor. He's paving the way. So that way people are like, whoa, Jesus, where'd you come from? No, like at least prepare them. Like, the, the, I'm not going to say opening act with all respect, but you know what I mean. So St. John is that, op you know, preparing the way for people to absorb the reality of who Jesus is. And the angel says, your son, you're about to have a kid in nine months. And he will pave the way for, 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 for Jesus and his personality. He will be coming the spirit and power of Elijah. Why is the angel using the person of Elijah? There was something about the Jews 2,000 years ago. They understood when you say someone's in the power of Elijah, they, they get that. They was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know exactly about the personality. We know exactly who he is. So Elijah was on the tip of the tongue of the Jews and even early Christian converts. And this is why over the next five weeks, I thought, let's kind of expand upon, you know, who really is Elijah? For many of us, the Old Testament just seems kind of just like, I don't get it at all. Like, why don't we, why don't we just focus on Jesus? But why was, Jesus, why was Elijah so prevalent and such a common name? And why did the angel point out Elijah? Another question. This is an ancient Coptic Orthodox icon of an event in which Jesus went on top of a mountain, Mount Tabor or Tabor, however you want to pronounce it, and he's and he, on the left and right of him are Elijah and Moses, and they come in this like glorified body, if you will, and they're like radiating this light to the point that three of the disciples are like, whoa, this is like unreal, but why did Jesus come and show the disciples a very glorified body of himself? Like, why did he show these disciples, and why did he show, why did he come with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. Like, you have to wonder, like, why can't Jesus just show a glorified body, be transfigured by himself to the disciples? Why is there Moses and Elijah? Again, there has to be something interesting about Elijah of why Jesus would have Elijah next time. Fast forward. Like I said, you have these 12 ordinary men who are, maybe some of them were skeptics of who Jesus is. But once they were all in, and bought in completely to knowing who the reality of who Jesus is. One of them was the name of, goes by the name of St. James. Actually, some historians say he was a relative of Jesus. So St. James, one of the disciples, ended up becoming a bishop. And he is writing a letter to early Christian converts. And he tells them this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Why? I, my question for St. James, you're writing a letter to early Christian converts. Tell them anything else. Why are you taking time to write down that Elijah was a man with a nature? Like, like why are you talking about Elijah? Shouldn't we be focused on Jesus and that's it? Like, why are you bringing up Elijah? If you're, trying, you're writing a letter to early people who are following Jesus, what's the big deal? The Christian leaders in the first few centuries made a big deal of connecting two big books and connecting them together. Not books, two collection of books and connecting them together. In the fourth century, the church said, okay, listen, we have a, a lot of fabulous writings. We got a lot of good stuff from the Torah. We got some great stuff from, from St. Paul. He wrote some awesome stuff to the city of Rome and Corinth and Thessalonica. We got some great stuff here. We got Luke, man, Luke did two volumes. He did, he did a gospel and the book of Acts. Man, we got some great stuff here. Let's put all of this together and let's call it the Bible. But 
before, instead of just focusing on St. Paul and, and all these great, fabulous writings that we have, why don't we glue it? Why don't we bind it together with the Torah? Why? Like, why, like why did the early church er, er, leaders say, you know what, let's bind it together with the Torah. Let's connect both collection of books together and then call it the Bible. Why did they do that? We can understand more of who Jesus is if we understand Judaism. We can understand more of the reality and have a full picture of who Jesus is and what he came to fulfill and accomplish if we have an idea of God working through the Jewish people. So, you guys with me so far? God, I knew I threw a lot. So, now we are going to look at the year 1250 BC. This is a really colorful icon, and there is 10,000 things going on. Here are the children of Israel, which are God's chosen people. God wanted to work through the, the Israelites in order to bring life to humanity. So God is here bringing the children of Israel from slavery to new life. And they are crossing the Red Sea. Man, they're like, Moses, that was awesome that you parted the Red Sea. So they're on cloud nine, walking through an untrodden road to get to new life. So for 100 years, as they go from slavery to new life, they were living the best life. They had, everything was the best in Israel. Like they, had, like, like, they had three major kings that really brought prosperity to the people. Uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. So you have these three kings. Everything is fabulous in Israel. Then comes a little drift. Now, instead of all of the kingdom of Israel, now there's a split into two tribes. There is division. Now there's different ideologies coming into God's chosen people. And this is where we will jump into. There are bad kings now. There was three great kings throughout history for 100 years. Then all of a sudden we got one bad king and one badder king and one baddest king and these things got worse and worse through really horrible kings. But God wasn't gonna leave his people. So how did God work to bring, restore humanity back? He sent prophets. This is what you and I pray in every liturgy, which is written by St. Basil in the year 350 AD. God, you have, not, you have always visited us through your holy prophets. When God saw humanity kind of drifting away, God said, you know what? I'm going to help him. I'm going to restore humanity. So I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to send prophets. I'm going to sing some good kings. I'm going to send some judges to help. You have always visited us through your holy prophets. And in the last days, you, God, have manifested yourself to us. The manifestation of God fully was Jesus. But so prophets were there to help get people back on track. Guys, you know, we, we should really stop worshiping idols. Guys, we really need to talk about the ethic of sexuality. Guys, we really need to like get on the same page. We're not managing anger, right? So the prophets were there set as messengers of God to try to restore people, try to bring them back in line. So they began to drift further and further and further and further away. The root of a drift came through bad kings. And this is where we're picking up. Jeroboam, who was one of the kings, did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. What is Jeroboam saying? Guys, you do your truth. I do mine. Like, you know what? I'll, I'll ordain some priests. They can worship the idols in the temple. Whoever wants to become a priest, you can do it. You can do as you wish. You do you, I do me. This is very common. You, I'm sure you've heard this before in society now. You do you, I do me. This is your truth. So here comes Jeroboam saying, you know what? 
great. There's people that worship the true God. Cool. But if, some people, if somebody else wants to worship uh, an idol, okay, th that's their truth. Somebody wants to become a priest to worship that idol, okay, sure. You do you, man. So here comes Jeroboam speaking that truth, quote-unquote truth. And here becomes a begin a drift. We move forward. Nadab, who is Jeroboam's son, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. Pause. Let's have a real life conversation for a second. Generational sin, generational impact. Jeroboam's son followed in the footsteps of his dad. Consciously or unconsciously, however you want to look at it, intentional, unintentional, there is a generational impact that happens year after year. If we are passive about life, if we drift, you and I are molded by our upbringing, by our environment, of how we saw mom and dad manage stress, of how we saw mom and dad look at marriage. You and I are, are, are molded by our upbringing, our environment. And if we're not intentional about it, it's naturally passed on to the next generation because they are following what they saw. This is a reminder for myself and for all of us. If we're passive about life, then our children, the next generation, will also be passive. If we are like Jeroboam saying, you, you do what you want to do, if you want to do that, that's fine. If we're like that, it's only going to get worse generation after generation. But here's the flip side. You and I have the power to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to stop this generational trend. My great-grandfather was like that, my grandfather was like that, my father was like that, now I'm changing that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop that generational trend. That's within our power. If we pause, take a step back and assess, how do I manage stress? What's my view of sexuality? What's my view of the ethic of life? How do I view morality? Like if this is our time for us to stop and, and, and begin a new trend by us being intentional. So Jeroboam's son, Nadab, he's not doing anything wrong. He's only continuing what he saw growing up. In the 30th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. Okay, so you guys with me? Jeroboam, uh, I forgot the guy's name already, Nadab. So Jeroboam, Nadab, and then now we have Ahab. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did, which now we're moving a few generations. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So here we are in this generational, we're, we're continuing. Now we're, we're having Ahab, King Ahab. Man, we thought Jeroboam was bad. Ahab is now taking it to a whole new level. Why? There is a drift. There is relativity. You do you, man. I do me. Everyone does what's best for them. And now there is a drift. And now King Ahab has completely drifted God's chosen people to a completely different worldview. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. This is King Ahab. He married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Why is the author pointing out Ahab's uh, wife? Her name is Jezebel. Like no other king, we, we don't have the list of, of, of the wife. What's the big deal of, of, of Jezebel? God told, God, God told his people, listen, I don't want you to marry other foreign ideologies, people who have different fo foreign ideologies. Why? 
Because the root of your marriage has to be you both of you guys anchored in the same truth. But if you're marrying someone who's outside just because she's cute or she's hot or whatever, man, that, that's going to implode. That's going to dissolve. So you need to marry someone who has the same ethic and morality as you. But here's King Ahab, right? He's many generations have been drifted and have really embraced relativity. So now he's saying, man, you do you, I do me. If I want to take Jezebel, she's hot. I could take her if I want. So here comes, here comes Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. The author is really wanting to point out where she's from. For those who are familiar with the Old Testament, those who are from, uh, from the Sidonians were like, man, like they were like not the greatest people in the world. But the author is intentionally wanting to highlight Jezebel because what's the saying from that movie? Like the wife is the neck and the guy is the head. Right? That's the saying. You guys with me? There you go. That sounds about right. So now, the, so now Jezebel, there you go. Thank you. Jezebel is really affecting the mindset of Ahab and really helping him drift further and further away. He set up an altar for Baal, which is, uh, which is an idol in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made, uh, made an Asherah pole and did, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before, Ahab, before him. So King Ahab now, marrying outside someone from a different foreign ideology, he has really embraced relativity and everyone doing as they wish. This is how, my friends, the devil, the master deceiver, deceives us he doesn't come and just snatch us overnight it's it's a drift it's subtle it's subtle what's the big deal of me doing this what's the big deal of me watching that it's not gonna harm anything it's not like i'm it's not like i'm doing this or i'm doing that that's how it begins it all like this is his master plan like if you ever go into the devil's office i where i mean then you open up his rubric of what his template he follows this is how he does it it begins it was like what's the big deal What's the big deal if I don't do this or if I do that? I'm not harming anybody. It's not like I'm like that person. And we begin to justify. This is how the master deceiver begins to dissolve our, our relationships, our friendships, our marriage, our role as parents, our, our worldview. It begins with relativity. It begins with something very nice. You do your truth, I do mine. And it begins to unfold from there. I told you. My favorite song in high school, one of my favorite songs, Elijah Rock, right? This is one of the words from the song. <laughs> Satan is a liar and a conjurer too. If you don't mind high, he'll come to you. If I could, I surely would stand on the rock where Moses stood. Yeah, thank you. I was, I was a tenor. I wasn't a bass, so it's a little bit hard for me, but... So, so here are the words. Of, here's the words of, of this of this uh, African American uh, song that the slaves you sang in the 1860s. Satan is a liar, and he's a conjurer too. If you don't mind, high, he'll come to you. If I could, I surely would. I would stand on the rock where Moses stood. So we'll get to that point as far as why are they highlighting Moses? But you can see they they are labeling who the devil is. He's a conjurer. He's trying to deceive us. By the time there's King Ahab. What percent of God's people are followers of him? One percent. One percent of God's people are still followers of him. The rest of them, you do you, I do me. You want to worship Baal, you worship Baal. You want to marry somebody from wherever, you do you, man. This is everybody else. Only one percent of God's people are staying true to following him. And this is where, my friends, 
Elijah, the prophet, jumps into the scene. Everyone's drifting. And in the midst of darkness, don't we pray liturgically, Lord, you have not abandoned us to the end, but you have always visited us through your holy prophets. There's a point where God says, okay, enough is enough. I have to intervene. I've tried, I've honored and respected them, but they have drifted so much, and this is impacting generation after generation after generation. I will not abandon them to the end, but I will visit them through the holy prophets. And here comes Elijah into the scene. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Has anyone ever been to, to has anyone ever been to Tishbe in Gilead? Because nobody knows where it is. Here comes a guy from God knows where, a, you know, nobody knows where he's from, but here comes Elijah with so much boldness, so much guts, coming from God knows where, from the boonies basically. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Boom, mic drop, end of story. Elijah coming out of nowhere, coming from the boonies. No one knows who he is, where he's from. And he comes to, to Ahab. No, like, cordial, like, your majesty or whatever. He doesn't, nothing. He says, I come, I know who I am, I know who I belong to. And I'm coming to deliver truth. This, this relativity, this drifting away from truth, enough is enough. Because of that, I'm going to impact the economy where it hurts. When you and I read that there's no rain, many of us are like, cool, no rain, that's good, there'll be more, better weather. It doesn't impact us. It has no emotional pull when you and I read that. But for, for, for Elijah to come to King Ahab and says there'll be no rain, this is hurting the economy. This is equivalent to someone saying there's going to be a, you know, a, market, a stock market crash tomorrow morning. You and I will be like, whoa, you know, I need to, you're going to make some moves. But this is exactly what Elijah is saying. saying this is going to hurt the economy at its core. There will be no rain. Here's a question you and I will discuss in life group for those who sign up for a life group. What allowed a man coming from who knows where to speak with so much boldness and guts? What allowed him to be able to come and, and stand up for truth and come to the king and say, no, I know who I serve, I know who I am, I know who I belong to, there will be no rain. What allowed him to speak with so much audacity and guts? If we worship God in fear and trembling, then we will stand in the fear of God for truth. Fear and trembling, liturgically, we say this text. For us to worship God and not like, yeah, yeah, I worship God. Yeah, he all right. I got, yeah. That, yeah, that's one view of worshiping. But we tremble. We surrender our logic to him. We go down in order to rise with him. So we worship him in fear and trembling. We tremble my pride. I tremble my pride. I tremble my, my ego. I, I tremble my lust. I tremble who I am. Because of, uh, instead of my truth, that will, that's what's going to tremble. But I want to stand in the fear of God for truth. For us to stand with boldness, stand for what's true. But to also know for us to stand in reverence, in fear of God. Not fear like, oh, I'm fear. No, that's not that. When we say fear of God, it's not like I'm scared. No, it's me knowing who I am and who I belong to. Knowing where I am and where he is. This is what we say when we say I fear God. It's not like I'm scared of him. No. He embraces us and, 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 and loves us and accepts us and covers us, just as we say in the prayer of thanksgiving. 
But I need to know where I am and I need to know where he is. I need to know where my view of ethics are and I need to know where his view of ethics is. God begins to build and equip Elijah to stand up for truth. What allows him to speak with so much audacity? What allows you and me to stand up for what truth is? Does that mean you go into your office and say, I stand for X, Y, Z? Probably not. But what does it look like for you to be able to stand for truth? Or have we fallen into the same trap of the kings? You do you, I do me, man. Is that our view? Like, how do we find the balance of accepting and loving everyone regardless of the worldview? And where's the balance of God's chosen Elijah to stand up for truth? Where is the balance? This is the discussion in which you and I, I hope you have signed up for Life Group, and which we will have over the next five weeks. And this is the focus for week one of Life Group, of our series titled Elijah Wrong. I just want to throw out to you just three questions in which you and I will be discussing this week in Life Group. Generational habits have been studied for years, and it shows that we pick up good and bad habits from our upbringing and environment. What are some habits or mindsets you have picked up, either good or bad, if you assess who you are? What aspects of you have you picked up that have been generational habits in which you saw at home? Maybe you saw it in your grandparents, and you notice you see that within yourself as well. It could be good or bad. I'm getting psychological here this week here. Question two. Society at large is embracing relativity and everyone wants to seek their own truth. I should have put that in quotes. What does this mean? And what are the pros and cons to this? Right? We should honor and respect everyone's worldview. I mean, Jesus did that. He showed the utmost respect and honor for everyone's worldview. He met them where they were. But what's the balance? What's the balance? So the question again, society at large is embracing relativity. Everyone wants to seek their own truth. What does this mean? And what are the pros and cons to this? Last question. You know, I'm just teasing these out for now. What allowed Elijah to be able to speak with boldness to King Ahab? He came with boldness to stand for truth. What does that look like for you and me? He stood up for truth. And being surrounded by relativity. What does that look like for you and me? If you and I are going to say that we are interested in who Jesus is, and if we're going to move in that direction, if we're going to define what ethics and what morality is, not by our own view, not on what my social media tells me I should view it as, but what is the source of life says about this, then we need to stand up for truth. We need to diagnose what is relativity, what is drifting, and what is reality. Let us embrace that truth and come to that this week and, and answer these tough questions, all right? Let this be our focus for week one as we move forward on this new series titled Elijah Rock. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us are surrounded by pressures, of, of, of different worldviews, things that drift us away from you. But Lord, I pray that this week in our conversations in Life Group, for those who are just watching this, those who are with us maybe did not sign up for Life Group, Lord, I pray that for all of us, regardless, that we can pause life and ask, who do I belong to? What identifies me? Do I stand up for truth or do I go along with the flow? 
Lord, we thank you that we have this record of Elijah's life for us to be able to embrace his life in, in, in every aspect of his life over the next five weeks, for us to follow in his footsteps, for us to stand up for what is true. Lord, you have called us to do amazing things and you have equipped us and you have sent us to every corner of the world to, make an, to, to be a light to others. Lord, I pray that in our homes, in our marriages, in our households, in our workplaces, in our schools, that we can embrace truth, stand up for what is true in order to leave an impact for the next generation. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. We will continue part two next Sunday.